So the book of Romans, <clears throat> I've talked to you about this before, it's considered by many, including myself, to be the greatest book of the Bible, of the 66 books. And the reason many people feel that way is because in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul goes into detail about the gospel of God, the gospel of God, or as we have already looked at, that is the good news or message concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that comes to sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone, Christ, and what He has done on their behalf. But before Paul gets into all the details of this great salvation for sinners that God has provided through His Son, he, he labors in Romans to prove that humanity is in desperate need of salvation, of being saved from the wrath of God against their sin. Now let me ask you something. If someone is truly in danger, but they do not believe that they are truly in danger, does it make much sense to explain to them how they can be then rescued from that danger. Does it, does it make any sense? It doesn't. First, they need to be made aware of the real peril that exists for them before they will care about how to escape from it. Okay? Doesn't that make sense? So if I ran up to you, we were in your home, and we're on the second story. You have a two-story home now for the illustration. And you were on the second story, and I said... Quick, I have thrown a ladder out the window. You and I must run to the window and escape out that window. What would you say to me? Why? What's your problem? What are you so worked up about? There's danger. What danger? And it would not be until I explained to you and got you to understand that the whole first story of your home was on fire. It was on fire. See, if I started with that, I'm sorry, but while I was cooking, I got a little bit out of control, and the first story of your beautiful home is now on fire. Forgive me, but we can deal with that later. But for now, we must evacuate this home immediately, because if we don't, we will both be consumed in that very fire. But have no fear, I have put a ladder out the second story window so we can make our way down without any harm. Right? You wouldn't even have a conversation with me at that point. You would be, both of us would be making our way to the exit route, to the rescue route as soon as possible. Right? Okay. It is the same way with the gospel. It's the very same way with the gospel. You, you have to explain to people that they are in real danger. See, many times we just go up to people and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus, the Savior? Let me tell you about Jesus, the Savior. The Savior? Why do I need a Savior? And sometimes people enter into this conversation without even knowing the real danger that they are in and why they desperately, desperately need to be rescued. It's, it's only then, beloved, it's only then when a person comes to grips with the reality of the danger that they face, the wrath of God against their sin, the pending wrath of God, the doom that awaits every sinner because of a holy God. It is only then that the, the message of the cross, the message of the saving one, the message of Jesus Christ and what he has done to save sinners, it is only then that that message becomes really important to them and really good news if they believe. One writer says this in regard to just the fact that it seems like no one is, people are less and less talking about the danger, okay, in church situations or in church in, in concern of concerning people's real peril or danger they face being the wrath of God and condemnation. He says this, men must be confronted with the reality that they stand in inevitable judgment from a holy God 
who must react against their sins. He must. If he doesn't, if he won't, then he's not holy, he's not just, he's not righteous. He cannot look the other way. He must judge sin. And he is angry every day. This is the kind of things we've been talking about as we've moved through Romans. Why, God, are you so angry? He's angry against sin. Not any sin, not sin out there. Our sin, humanity's sin. Our rebellion against him. The writer goes on to say, Sadly, through the years, Christians have soft-pedaled the theme of judgment. Hell has been quietly omitted from our preaching. This is a preacher who's saying this. Wrath has been often depersonalized as if God were not involved. Like he's not involved with wrath. That that wrath is only the outworking of some deistic machine. In other words, God kind of just set up the universe and then has pulled away from it. And if there is any consequences, it's just the consequences of bad things that happen when people do the wrong thing. But the writer goes on to say God is involved. He is involved in his wrath as much as he is in his grace or mercy or love or any extension and expression or expression of his nature. He is involved. God, beloved, the God that we sing about who is a God of love and mercy and grace is also just as much a God of wrath. Do you understand? You may understand, but the people around you in your community, at your workplace, your family, they need to understand because it's only then that they understand that there is a fire on the first store level of their home. And judgment is about to come upon them. And there is an escape route. There is an escape route. And then and only then, when they understand the wrath of God against their sin, deserving wrath of God against their sin, will they be open, beloved, to hearing about a Savior. So in this section of Romans that we're working our way through, Paul is, he begins by primarily talking about the guilt of the Gentile or the non-Jewish person. Okay, we, we've said, I've said this before, we would be classified biblically as Gentiles. Because that's how the Bible kind of breaks the humanity up. There's Jewish people and there's the Gentile people, those who are not Jews. So in chapter 1, this section we're in, Paul is going to start off by saying, the house is on fire. And he's going to say, for all Gentiles, the house is on fire. In chapter 2, he'll address the Jewish person. So he begins with the Gentiles, then the Jewish people. And then in chapter 3, he takes both groups of people, Gentile and Jew, and he makes it clear that all are guilty before God. There are, you might remember this statement, there are none righteous, not even one. Not even one. In in that context, he's saying both Jew and Gentile, there are none righteous. I don't care what category you belong to, there is not a one. All are guilty before God. All are deserving of his wrath. That's what the book of Romans, that's how it begins. Now, as we've already discussed, as we started through this section, 18, 19, 20, those verses of chapter 1, humanity is totally without excuse for failing to believe in or follow the one true God because God, through his creation, has to an extent revealed himself to all. These are kind of the things we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And he has made some things about himself plain to see. Plain to see. For all. But because of unrighteousness, because of humanity's sinfulness, our sinfulness, beloved, people suppress the truth. They push it down. The very truth that God reveals, they shove it down leaving them with no excuse for their unbelief and making them absolutely worthy, deserving of God's wrath. There won't be anyone in hell that will be able to say, I didn't deserve this. That's the point. Even the kind grandmother who rejected God all of her life, She won't be able to say, I didn't deserve this. So today we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. For the sake of the context, though, I want to read all the way from verse 18 to 32. This is a unit. It goes together. 
when you're reading Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Look there now at your text. Look into your Bibles. Follow along, please. All right, let's read it. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This morning what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on verses 21 through 23, and we're, as we do that, we're going to consider two inexcusable acts of humanity that demonstrate their sinfulness and make them guilty before God. And we're going to do that so that we might fully embrace the importance of the gospel, how critical it really is, and the urgent need for us, beloved, to proclaim it to this world who are in danger. Real peril awaits them. The two inexcusable acts of humanity is refusing to acknowledge God, and the second is worshiping that which is not God. Very simple this morning. So let's look at it together. Refusing to acknowledge God would be the first inexcusable act of humanity that demonstrates their sinfulness and makes them guilty before God. And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Look back at the text. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul says they. You see that there in the beginning of verse 21? He says they, which in the context is still referring back to those who suppress the truth about God. That's the they. To remind you, the truth that is suppressed is the truth concerning God that he has revealed to everyone through his creation. What truth? Well, like the truth that he exists, that he is, and that he is powerful. And even some things that are true about his divine character can be discerned through considering his creation or thinking about his creation, like the fact that he is wise or good or kind. These kind of things can be understood from the very creation that you and I live in. Paul says in verse 21 that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
Okay, now listen. So what is Paul's point here? Why is he saying this? The point is this. Even the limited knowledge of God, it is limited through creation. Okay? So you can't know everything about God just by considering the creation. But there are some things the Apostle Paul says that everyone can know through the creation. God has made it plain to them. He's done that intentionally. But even with that limited knowledge of God that all people have been exposed to, everyone who lives on this planet or anywhere in this universe, which is just this planet, (laughs) that knowledge should naturally lead to a healthy reverence for God. That's what he's saying. That knowledge should lead to a healthy reverence for God and the giving of thanks to him. Because as they consider the creation, they will, humanity will determine if they are not suppressing that truth, that God exists, that he is very powerful, and that he has provided many good things for humanity. But sadly, humanity does not honor God as God or give him thanks. That's what Paul is saying. They should, but they don't. Paul considered the history of the Gentile people. So he just went back and he's, he's thinking through all these things and he's thinking about what is the history of the Gentiles? What is it? These non-Jewish people. And in considering that, this is what he concluded. They have not acknowledged the God of creation at all. And Paul is saying by that that they didn't honor him as they should. They didn't express gratitude to him as they should. Gratitude for what? Gratitude for all the good and kind things that the God of creation is responsible for. Like what? Well, how about just the gift of life? The gift of life. Or how about the fact that God provides all the things that humanity needs for them to sustain that life that he has given to them? Like food and crops and water and sun. What about that? Or even how about the things that God has given to all that make life enjoyable and pleasurable, like family. Family, beloved. It's a gift of God. Or how about even love? The ability for us as humans to love and receive love. That's a gift from God. And that should lead one to give thanks to the God who gave those things. Now, in case you were not aware, beloved, God created the world and he put humanity in it so that we would honor and worship him. I know, I know because we hear things that are not accurate about the scriptures or about God, sometimes people actually start to think that this whole thing is about us. The world... The universe, creation, us, God. It's really all about us. It is not. You cannot read the Bible and walk away with that position. If you really read it, you will come to the conclusion that it is all about God. It always has been. It is now. And it always will be. And he has created us for the purpose of honoring and worshiping and glorifying him him and the sooner we get in line with that the sooner we will find satisfaction in this life the sooner we will find joy and happiness when we understand the very purpose for which god has created us it's not for us to be honored and worshiped and glorified that's a mistake many people think that it is not it is for him he's the only one worthy of it But guess what? Even though God has created humanity for that purpose, sin, sin has corrupted humanity so that even though all people are to some degree aware of God through his creation, people sinfully refuse to even acknowledge the God who made them and graciously has given to them to us so much. So instead of people responding appropriately to God with honor and the giving of thanks, they simply reject God by sinfully suppressing the truth and the revelation that God has revealed concerning 
himself. And beloved, that is the sad and miserable reality concerning humanity. That is it. Right there. Romans 1. And by the way, the fact that humanity, sinful humanity, does that, they neither honor God, they neither give Him thanks, they refuse to acknowledge Him, is the biggest mistake humanity can make because the consequences are devastating. And they're right here in Romans 1.21. I want to show them to you. Look back at the text. For although they knew God, they knew things about God, they knew of His divine power, they knew of His attributes, they knew He existed. It had been clearly revealed to them throughout all of creation. That's the context. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Watch this. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Were darkened. The utter refusal to acknowledge God. Listen. The utter refusal to acknowledge God ends up in the degeneration of man's mind or heart. The degeneration of man's mind or heart. What do I mean by that? I mean that sinful humanity, okay, is made worse off than they already are when they reject the true God and refuse to acknowledge him. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. Sinful humanity is made worse off than they already are when they reject God and they refuse to acknowledge him. Paul says they became futile in their thinking, which is to say, this is what that means, futile. It means this, that their thinking became worthless or foolish, worthless or foolish. Because they've rejected God. And then he adds this. Their foolish hearts or minds were darkened. Were darkened. Meaning that their thinking, spiritually speaking, had been thoroughly corrupted and distorted because they refused to act on the revelation that God gave about himself through his creation. Choosing instead to reject their creator. To shun their God. And that has led to foolishness and the darkening of their mind in relation to their spiritual thinking. Paul said the same exact thing in Ephesians 4. He's speaking to the Christians in Ephesus and he talks about this futile thinking and the darkness of the Gentiles. Here's how he puts it here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Paul writing says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. He's writing to Christians that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Do not do what they do. Do not act like they act. Do not think like they think. In the futility of their minds, in the worthlessness of their minds, in the foolishness of their minds, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why, Paul? Due to the hardness of their hearts. Due to the hardness of their hearts. You know what that means, hardness of their heart? It doesn't mean your, 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 your heart is... can't think of the word all of a sudden. Your, yeah, your arteries are corroded. He's not talking about that. Hardness of heart is a, like a stiff-necked rebellion against God. That's what he's saying. So he's saying the unsaved Gentiles... Listen... The unsaved Gentiles are ignorant, foolish, and misguided concerning the things of God. Not because God hasn't made himself known to them. That's not why. But because they rejected what he has revealed to them. That's why. And why did they reject it? Because of the hardness of their heart. Because of the sinfulness locked up in their hearts. That's why. One writer says this, to turn from the light of revelation, to turn from it, what God has revealed to us through his creation, to to turn away from that light is to head into darkness. We talked about that last week. If I shut the lights off, what do I have left? Darkness. And that is what people do when they reject the light of God's revelation through creation. 
And then the writer goes on to say, in a moral universe, and we have a moral universe because God is a moral God. This is his universe. He's made it. He's designed it. It functions according to his rules, not ours. In a moral universe, it is impossible to turn from the truth of God and not suffer the consequences. So let me say it this way. To turn your back on God, the true God, the only God, is to turn from the light and head directly into the darkness. A darkness which leads to futile and corrupted thinking about God and the real truth concerning him. That's what it leads to. But listen to this. This is where it gets interesting. Just because it is true that people refuse to acknowledge the true God does not mean that those very same people are not religious. Did you hear what I said? Just because people reject the true God, they reject his general revelation that he has made plain to all, does not mean that they are not religious, does not mean that they don't still worship. Now stick with me. In fact, I would, I would think you would agree with me that generally speaking, humanity is very religious. Very religious. Right? I mean, even Joe Blow on the street, he may not accept Christ. He may not accept the God of the scriptures. But if you ask him, hey, are you spiritual? Oh, yes, I consider myself very spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. And the obvious reason that that is so, that people are religious, is because God has created people with the capacity to worship and the desire to worship. He's created them with that. Why? Remember what I said earlier? Because we were created to long to worship him, to worship him, to honor him, right? So he's created people with the ability to do it and the desire to do it. Now, while sin has led to people rejecting the true God, rejecting him, not worshiping him, sin has done nothing to stop them from still worshiping. Do you understand? This is big now. This is big. This is going to help you. This is going to help your Christian worldview and help you understand what's going on in the world, help you to make sense of it. This is what's so awesome about the Bible. God created the world. He wrote the scriptures. These are, these are his words. So when we read it, we begin to understand what most of the world has. They're clueless. They don't know because they've rejected God. Therefore, they've gone from the light into darkness. Their minds have become futile. The thoughts that they have about spiritual things are foolishness. But you and I, through the revelation of this truth, can begin to understand. So here it is. People reject the truth, but that doesn't mean they still don't have a desire to worship. And that leads me to the next point. This is the next inexcusable act of humanity that makes them absolutely guilty before God and demonstrates their sinfulness. That is worshiping that which is not God. So follow the logic with me. Here we are back in the text, Romans 1, 22 through 23. Here Paul says, these, here's what he said about these people. Now he says in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is speaking about here in verse 23, he's speaking about idolatry, idolatry, which basically could be defined as the worship of a false God, the worship of a false God. If you've been in the growth groups, you know that we've recently gone over a study of idols and idols of the heart that even Christians uh, have and have to fight and battle against. But Idolatry is primarily the worship of a false god or the image of a false god. Okay? You got the definition? Idolatry, beloved, has been a serious problem throughout the history of humanity. And oh, by the way, it hasn't gone away. It still is a serious problem today in our world. 
In fact, think about this. When God calls the people out of Egypt, his people, when he takes them out and he gives them his law, right? He calls them out of Egypt. Egypt was a land filled with Gentiles who were idolaters. They were worshiping all kinds of gods. Anything but the one true God. Anything. We'll take anything. We don't want the true God, but we will turn to all of these false gods. Images of men, images of beasts, images of creeping things. We'll worship anything. And while we're doing it, we'll tell you how incredibly wise we are. He takes his people out of Egypt. You know what the first thing is he tells them? Right? The first commandment when he gives them the Ten Commandments. What is it? You shall have no other gods before me. Small g. Not as if there was a choice. Like there's God A and God B and the God of the Bible is God C. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you to worship that God and that God. I want you to only worship me. There are no other gods. It's small g. I don't want you to have any of those human-made gods. None of them. You worship me and me alone. And you know what the second commandment is? Don't make an idol. Don't take something that's created and then, and then attribute to it what only should be attributed to me and begin to worship it as if it's your God. So he knew. He knew that they would be exposed to this. He knew that they would be tempted to do those very things. And, and if you read about the history of Israel, they were constantly falling into problems with idolatry. People all over the world, beloved, all over the world, even today, continue to reject the true God and they worship foolish substitutes for the true God. And while doing this, as crazy as this sounds, they claim to be wise. That's, that's what's going on. One writer says this, okay? I found this a good illustration to try to illustrate to you this, this picture. Concerning the fact that humanity attempts to eliminate God in their mind and then creates one that doesn't exist is similar, listen to me, is similar to a father who has a son, murders his son, and then replaces his son with a ventriloquist dummy and goes through the rest of his life introducing the dummy to people as his son. Do you get the picture? That's what this is like. Now, let me ask you something. What would you say about that person? Would you say they're in their right mind? Would you say, look how wise they are. Wow, the wisdom that pours out of this fella. Huh? Would you have them committed? Would you have them committed? I hope so. Guy had a son. He killed his son. Let me remind you of the story. He kills his son. He replaces his true living son with a ventriloquist dummy, and then introduces the ventriloquist dummy to all of his friends as his son. That's the image of idolatry. That man in that story had lost touch with spiritual or with reality, and in this case, those who suppressed the revelation of God and refused to acknowledge him, they have lost touch with spiritual reality. They have completely lost touch. They are outside of their minds. They are insane. And yet they claim to be wise. Paul says that while claiming to be wise, they actually became fools. Paul Paul is pointing out that while the Gentiles were claiming to be spiritually enlightened and wise or discerning about spiritual things. Beloved, listen to me. The same thing goes on today. It's still happening. All of the idolatry, all of the false religions. You can turn on, I've said this before, Oprah. And Oprah will fill her program. She has a whole program devoted to spiritual enlightenment. And the people in the audience all say, wow, this is so amazing, so wise. I can't, where did this come from? It came from hell. That's where it came from. It came from Satan. It is not from God. Because, it, because she'll go on to talk about God is not, God is not a, a being... You know, that, that's fine if you think of it, but you need to advance past that. It's, a, it's like a universal force. It's like a universal force that we, we all, we're all part of that universal force. In the end, where she goes is we are God. You are God. We are all God. 
We're all part of that universal force. And the sooner we figure out that out, then the world will be a much better place. And they all go, wow, so wise. And Paul would say, while claiming to be wise, they make themselves out to be fools. This foolishness involves not only the the refusal to worship the true God as he has revealed himself, not only in, in creation, but in his word. So it says, no. Oprah's whole thing, I, I, I know I'm talking about her, but I just, because she's such a big figure. But there's tons of Oprahs. There's tons of people like her. When you ask Oprah about when she started changing, she used to go to a Baptist church. I bet it was a good Baptist church. But she didn't like what they had to say. Because at one, one day, the, the pastor got up and talked about God is a jealous God. He is. It says it right in his Ten Commandments. And she didn't like that. She thought, no way is my God jealous. So she rejected the truth of this revelation. And as she did, she went into, she left the light, went into darkness, and is spiraling downward. And now everything that's spewing out of her mouth about spiritual things and everything she's accepting from all these other morons that she allows onto her show with their nonsense is foolishness. It's foolishness. So it's not only rejecting God, rejecting his revelation, but this foolishness that Paul talks about is also embracing false gods. Okay, it's both. I reject the true God, but guess what? I got to worship. I will worship something else. I will worship a false God. Look at what one writer says. I like these verses, these uh, quotes. Idolatry. I'm going to read it slowly. Idolatry grew out of man's insistent need to recognize some power in the universe greater than himself. It's put there by God. And then it's coupled, idolatry is then coupled with his refusal to give God the place of supremacy. Do you understand what they're saying? He has an insistent need to recognize some power in the universe greater than himself. Yes, that's God. But because they reject God, they refuse to give him his place. Idolatry is born. The worship of false gods. Do you understand? That's what's going on. Here's another one. Man is a religious being. And if he refuses to let God, the true God, have the place of preeminence, most importance, that is rightfully his as God, then he will put something or someone in God's place. Idolatry. And beloved, I believe Romans 1. <clears throat> contributes. Romans 1 contributes significantly to the explanation. For why we have so many different religious systems in our world. It is Romans 1, guys. The answer, you don't have to wonder. The answer is in Romans 1. It is because sinful humanity, having rejected the true God who has revealed himself to all in his creation, that humanity has consequently become futile in their thinking, worthless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts have been darkened, and yet they still have a desire to worship. Okay? And so they make gods out of the most ridiculous things and they worship them. Or they worship a god that has been created in the corrupted imagination of their spiritually dark and foolish mind. Did you hear what I just said? That's the reason for all the different religious systems. And beloved, if you begin to examine some of the things, you would know right away, that's insanity. In some religious systems, hundreds of gods, thousands of gods are worshipped. And then the idolatry, the images that are made for these gods are the most grotesque and vile things. And people bow down before them. Insanity. One writer says this, quoting someone else. He says, all false religion, 
all false religion is idolatry. And A.W. Tozer was right when he said, quote, Idolatry begins in the mind when we pervert or exchange the idea of God for something other than what he really is. See, the truth is that the various religions of the world are not really man's different ways of seeking or finding God. That's not true, beloved. There are not multiple paths to God. There are not multiple ways in which this culture does it or this culture does it. No, not according to Romans 1. According to Romans 1, multiple religious systems are the result of man running away from the true God. Running as fast as he can. Trying to get away from the God who has revealed himself to them in all of creation. Where are they going to go? And they run. They suppress the truth. They push it down. And yet, made to worship, they have a desire. And so they foolishly turn to false gods of their own making. And so we have all sorts of different ways of getting at that. All of them are rejection of the true God. While running away from the light, beloved, they run into the dark and they fall into the pit of idolatry. That's what's going on. That's what has been happening. That's what explains our world. Concerning verse 21 of of Romans that we looked at, one Bible scholar, I want to close it out here, and then I want to make a few comments. One Bible scholar makes a statement that I want you to think about a little bit. At the very center of every person where the knowledge of God, if it is to have any positive effects, must be embraced, there has settled a darkness. There has settled a darkness. A darkness that only the light of the gospel can penetrate. I want you to, I want to talk, leave it up there for a second. I want to talk about this a little bit. What the writer is saying, remember when Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for I, I know what it is. It is the power, it is the dynamo of God for salvation. The gospel, beloved, God has orchestrated it to occur this way. Through the preaching of the gospel that the world considers absolute foolishness, unwise, not worth their time. Through the preaching of the gospel, God takes that message and he penetrates that darkness that dwells in them. Because they have rejected God, they have turned from him. He penetrates it with the gospel and the darkness is obliterated and they are able then to believe and to be rescued from the wrath of God that is coming to them if they were not to repent. It's through the gospel. This is why Paul was gospel crazy. This is why he wanted to preach the gospel. He knew all that about the Gentile world, but he also knew the power of the gospel. A simple message, a message about God's son, Jesus Christ. The divine one who came and died on a cross for the sins of people. That they might be rescued from the wrath of God that they deserve. Such a crazy message, right? But so powerful to us who have believed that message. We think it's the greatest message in the world. We know now the truth of that message. And God uses that message preached through his people, proclaimed through his people, through those who have received that message and believed in that message, he uses that message to continue to rip people out of darkness and take them into the light. Now, here's a couple of things I want you to think about. You can drop that now. I said that we're going to consider these two inexcusable acts so that we might fully embrace the importance of the gospel and the urgent need to proclaim it to the world. This is what, this is what you walk away with from here. You realize that the world is 
absolutely guilty before God. The world that has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every single one of them, religious or not. Okay? Religious or not. If they have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, if they have not placed their faith in Him and Him alone, they remain absolutely guilty before God and worthy of His condemnation. And they will receive it. They will receive it. That should bother you, I hope. I hope that would bother you. The world is in peril. Real danger exists for a majority of humanity. Real danger exists for your neighbors, for your co-workers, for your family, for your friends, for those in community. Real danger. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care if they're religious. I don't care if they have a religious system. If they have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are doomed. That's the point. Who's going to give them the gospel? Who's going to give it to them? Do you know that God has designed it so that his people would give it to him? That's how God, that's how he orchestrated it. That's how he did it. That's right. That happens again, I'm going to get nervous. God has determined for his people, it was the great commission. I want you to go and make disciples. Disciples of who? Disciples of Christ. I want you, I You as my disciples, Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples and then teach them everything I have taught you, which includes the lesson to go and make disciples. We, and how do you make a disciple? Well, first you got to give them the gospel. You got to tell them how to be saved. And even before you do that, you got to tell them why they need to be saved. There is serious danger and peril that awaits them. But there is a way out, a way of escape. And there's only one, and it is through Jesus Christ. Stop rejecting God. Stop suppressing the truth and repent and receive him by faith. See, that's what our, you want to know what your job here on earth is? If you're a Christian, that is it. I know you've got a lot of other things you do, but your primary job here on earth before the Lord takes you home is just that. Tell as many people as you possibly can about the gospel of Jesus Christ because through the gospel, he is able to break through the barrier of their darkness. In the same, the very same way that it happened for you and me. We were in darkness, we heard the gospel, and through the power of the gospel, we were opened up to the truth, we received that truth, all by God's grace and power. And finally this. You know, we're talking about people who are outside of Christ, right? But I thought this was interesting. When I was looking at my notes, I just thought, you know what? We may not, as Christians, we don't absolutely refuse God. We don't do that anymore. We've come into the light. But we are, because of our sinful tendencies, still guilty of not acknowledging God. Still guilty of not honoring Him as God. Still guilty of not giving Him thanks. And you know what? We're so ridiculous when we do that, we too begin to worship that which is not God. We too produce idols and give them our worship and our love and our devotion. And we've been talking about that, all kinds of idols. We may not believe, we may not call it another God, but we give the honor and reverence and worship to it that is only due to God, whether it be success or money or fame or power, foolishness for us. Do you know what eradicates that? It's the very same thing that breaks through the person who has not received Christ yet. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. So let me show you how that works. I don't honor God. I don't give thanks to him as as God. I begin to worship that which is not God. I have left the gospel. I have forgotten the gospel. I have failed to remember and meditate upon and cry out to myself the gospel. Because when I remember Jesus Christ crucified on my behalf, 
that I would escape the wrath of God because he took it upon himself. When I remember that, I can't help but honor God and give him thanks. And when I remember the gospel and the truths of the gospel and even all the things that are in store for me as a co-heir of Christ, as a son of God, because he laid down his life for me, when I remember those things, then all the ridiculous idols that I have allowed in my life to take the place of God, they lose. They lose all their value. They're not important anymore. How could they be in light of the gospel? You understand? So you and I, beloved, as Christians, we need the gospel too. We need to proclaim it to ourselves. Remember the gospel. Preach it to ourselves. Tell it to one another. That we might honor God and give Him thanks as He is due and worship Him and Him alone. And at the same time, we need to take that very gospel that we treasure, that we love, and proclaim it to all of our lost friends and family, praying that God would break through the darkness and bring them into the light. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the gospel. Father, I pray... I know probably today, just like every Sunday, there are those here who have not responded in faith to the gospel. Maybe they don't even understand it fully. Father, I pray that they would they would want to know more, that they would seek out more information and that and that they would seek out someone here to talk to them about the gospel. The good news or message concerning your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done to rescue them from the wrath, your wrath that is to come. Father, help us to meditate upon the gospel today. Really just just plunge ourselves into the truths of the gospel. That will make Mother's Day really awesome. And every other day of the year. And Father, I pray that you would would just give a special blessing to, to the moms here, Father. And that they, if they are Christians, that they would remember, of course, the joys of their children and the family and all of that, but... Even more than that, they remember what you have done for them through Jesus Christ, your son. For the moms who have yet to call Jesus Christ their Lord, Father, I pray that you would save them. May their children who are saved speak to them. May may someone, when you bring people into their life, that would openly and honestly and in love communicate the wonders and the beauties of the gospel to them, that they might be saved. In Jesus' name.